Pastor Xavier Reese makes an important observation regarding the transformation of the heart. There is only one problem with the heart of natural man. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, if your heart is not filled with the love of God, someone will rob your heart, take you away from God. If the Word of God does not fill your heart, then emotions and passions and pressure will rob your heart. The Bible says protect your heart or guard it because out of it comes the issues of life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What do you call an organization that proceeds without any clear direction? Well, for the employees, it usually manifests itself as chaos and confusion. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us to the book of Deuteronomy as he warns the believer about the perils of he who insists on following his own game plan and not God's. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 25, I've entitled the message, The Perils of a Divided Heart. Moses has just reiterated the Ten Commandments, literally the Ten Words, which are based on two distinct relationships. The first table of the law consists of the first four commandments, and it dealt with godliness, man's relationship to God. The second table of the law contains the last six commandments, which deals with righteousness, man's relationship to man. The first table is the most important in that it describes one's right relationship to God and thereby is the source of the second. We cannot be right with one another unless we are right with God first. And this is the problem of human relationship, be it in marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, friends. We try to get right with each other when we're not right with God. And when we're not right with God, nothing gets right. There's problems. Now, Jesus confirmed this when a lawyer stood up and asked him, which was the greatest of the commandments of the law, testing him. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And he said that in Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Now, Jesus was quoting the Shema of Israel, which is found right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He was implying the uniqueness of God as well as the unity of God. It is the very same word that is used in Genesis 2.24 when it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they two shall become one flesh. Two people, one flesh. So here in the Shema of Israel, you have at the very onset the doctrine of the Trinity. This is the great Shema of Israel. They were to know that God was one, a compound unity. And the word Elohim also reinforces the compound plurality of God. Not three gods, one God, three persons. I don't understand it, and I don't think you do either. But it's something that is taught throughout all co-equal, all God, and they are one God. The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Jesus changed it from might to mind, which means understanding. Here in Deuteronomy 6, 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. 
This was to be the foremost, the utmost, the very thing up front for the Jewish community. You love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. If you do this, you're going to have no problems. The basic idea is that man was to love God supremely, uniquely, and totally, having no rivals in their life. This is the message. This is the context. This is what he's trying to communicate. You are to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. In other words, every sense of reason and order and impulse and energy. You are to have God as a priority before anybody else. Now Moses has just declared that. As a simple principle in chapter 6 here, verse 6. These words shall be in what? He says in verse 6, your heart. He didn't say your head. He said your heart. Now the word for heart in the Hebrew describes the inner man, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. And the Greek word is closely related to it. The heart refers to the place of knowledge, thinking, reflection, understanding, and memory. What do we say when we know something? I know it by heart. Right? The heart is a place of inclination, resolution, determination of the will. You make decisions. The heart is a place of conscience. The heart is a place of moral character. The heart is a place of the seat of appetites. The heart is a place and seat of emotions and passions. The heart is a place and seat of courage. And that's how the word heart is used throughout the scriptures. Now, nine times the heart has already been mentioned here from chapter 1 to chapter 6, verse 6 here. 38 other times will follow in the book of Deuteronomy. 1,800 times in the Old Testament. Do you think the Bible has much to say about the heart? The Bible says protect your heart or guard it because out of it comes the issues of life. Your heart. Now, if your heart is not filled with the love of God, someone will rob your heart. Take you away from God. If the Word of God does not fill your heart, then emotions and passions and pressure will rob your heart. Your heart. There is only one problem with the heart of natural man. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. God says in Genesis 6, 5, as He looked upon the humanity of man He had created, He says, His imaginations and thoughts are evil continually from His youth. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. So there's a problem. The heart that God is talking about, we don't have. And so God responds to this in chapter 5, verse 29. He says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, this is God's response to the problem. He says, You don't have a heart. It's wicked. But I can give you a heart if you will not reject my love. Because it's this love that transforms our heart. Knowledge does not transform your heart. Love does. Knowledge gives us the means by which to conduct ourselves differently. But it's the heart that makes it effective. It's the heart that God honors. We can do things without the heart, and God says it stinks. The offering comes around, you grab a $20 bill, and you go, all right. And you get up there to heaven and says, God, did you see me put that in? He goes, ah, yeah. <laughs> no credit. The evidence of a changed heart 
would be threefold there in verse 29 of chapter 5. First of all, to fear the Lord. Do you fear God? Secondly, to obey His word. And then thirdly, which is the motive and the continuing result is found where we read there in chapter 6, verse 5. The love of God. The love for God. That's evidence that I love God. You see? I fear Him, I obey Him, and I continue to love Him. The outcome would be that it would be well with them and their children forever. You see, God wants to bless you. Sometimes we think that God wants to just make life difficult for us. No, He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you continually. He wants to bless me. Remember, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who entered in to the promised land. Why? Because we already read in chapter 1, verse 36, they followed the Lord wholly. What does that mean? They follow the Lord with a whole heart. That means they love the Lord with all their heart. Same thing. Love. If love does not hold you to be faithful to your wife or husband, nothing will hold you. If love is not what holds you, it's a matter of time before you're not held. Love is what holds you. What held Jesus Christ to the cross were not nails, but his love. He could have come down from the cross. His love held him there. His love for us. The condition of the heart before God is always determined or always does determine the potential of danger for perils. If I'm not in love with God, man, I'm in great danger. And life will expose those dangers to me over and over again. And so what we want to do, having this background, and keep that in mind the heart as we go through this, is we want to look at three perils which Moses gives to us and he warns them about when we have a divided heart. And you find them in verses 10 of chapter 6 there on down to 25. Three perils. Let me read the context and then we will give you the three. He says, And it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you the large, beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then... Beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take note in his name. Uh, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest he be angry and the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimony, his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asked you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of this testimony, the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all the household. Then he brought us up out of there that he might bring us into, to give us a land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then... It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. 
Three perils which Moses warns the children of Israel about, the second generation, when they have a divided heart. Here are the three. Number one, the peril of prosperity. You have it in verses 10 on down to 15. Secondly, you have the perils of adversity, verses 16 through 19. And then thirdly, you have the perils of failing to transmit our faith or their faith, verses 20 through 25. Look with me to the first, the perils of prosperity, verses 10 through 15. Notice first in verse 10 and 11, as we read it, that the promise is found there, the, the promise of blessing. The promise was to be received by faith. It shall be, the beginning of verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you. The promise of blessing, the promise was to be received by faith. Everything God speaks to us, even when he speaks to us right now in the present, it's in the future because it's, it's, it's in the next second, the next two seconds, it's speaking of faith. We step out and we trust God. It's by faith. The promise was made to the patriarchs. Notice that, your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a promise long awaited. It was made to their forefathers. They were the recipients of it. The promise was very detailed. Now, it's interesting that when we promise something, or we're going to make a contract for somebody, and we are the ones who are going to render the service or the promise, we make it real general, right? But when we're making a contract, a business contract, and we want to make sure that we're going to get all that we want, we make it real detailed, right? So we can nab the guy. Notice God holds himself responsible, very detailed. He says, the promise was very detailed, large, beautiful cities, houses full of good things, hewn out wells, vineyards, and olive trees. Very particular. Now, the more you mention, the more you're held accountable for, right? Interesting. But notice the fourth thing here is that the promise was that they had been given to them. Notice the emphasis through verses 10 and 11. They had not built... They had not filled, they had not dug, they had not planted. Don't miss those details. God is telling them something through Moses. What you have, you've received. And if you've received it, why in the world are you boasting? Does that sound familiar? Paul to the Corinthians. We get so forgetful about all that we have that is what God has given to us. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We haven't worked for it. It is God's mercy over us. Notice, secondly, in verses, uh, the, the end of verse 11 and 12, the problem with blessings. It gives the promise. Now, he gives you the problem, okay? Because with every blessing, there's a problem, right? Remember the heart. It's evil. First, notice the tendency to forget God is after having eaten and been full. Oh, when we're in need, oh, Lord, you know, then uh, we're fat and full, and boy, we forget all about God, don't we? After, then, beware. There's the caution. Then beware after you've eaten and you're full. The warning is a reminder of not only the possibility, but it's a prophecy regarding their future. The deliverance was from Egypt, which represented a type of the world in Scripture. How easy people can forget what God has delivered them from after they've been full and eaten. Notice the second tendency there is to forget the type of bondage remembering in it a much better light than it really was. We have that tendency after years go by, we go, well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I really kind of had it together, so I kind of just, really? Remember, the children of Israel remembered the leaks 
the onions, the watermelons, but they didn't remember the whip. You see, we, we tend to look back at our past life and, and look at it with, with colored glasses and, and much better than it really was. That's a deceitful heart. And so you do remember the leeks, you do remember the onions, but you forget the whip. You forget the bondage, the pain, the emptiness, the destruction. Oh, be careful of your heart. But notice thirdly in verses 13 and 14, the particulars for the blessing. There's conditions. One, you shall fear the Lord your God in verse 13, first portion. There it is again. It rises about three or four times in this passage. Fear, fear, fear. What does the scripture say about fear? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7, and 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, the Proverbs says also. The fear of the Lord. That's foundational. Second, notice verse 13 there still. You shall serve the Lord your God. Why? Because you cannot serve two masters. You love one and hate the other, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. Thirdly, you shall take oaths only in his name, only in his name. Why? Because the oaths were a validation of truthfulness to the promises of God or those things promised to God, and God knows the heart. And so today in, in, the, in, the, in the court system, you don't put your hand on a Bible anymore and raise it. Okay? So everybody's taking an oath upon their own understanding of truth. And that's why we have a bunch of liars on the witness stand. Because truth is relative to them, right? What are they swearing on? Nothing. Then what do they have to say? Nothing. How interesting. But when you would say, take an oath by Jehovah God, that meant that you were doing it on a presupposition that you feared God because he knew all things, heard all things, and he'd hold you accountable. People have lost the fear. Now, a lot of young kids today have a sticker that says, no fear, N-O, fear. But the Bible says, K-N-O-W, fear. You better know fear. That's much wiser. No fear, N-O, is stupidity. Blood and guts get you so far, and then they get you killed. But life teaches that to every person. But notice, fourthly, you should not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Notice that. Don't miss it. All around you. There are gods all around you. People serve all kinds of other gods. Drugs, sex, alcohol, goodness, morality, being a church person, doing good deeds, helping old ladies across the street, helping your neighbor. Those are all the other gods they serve. People think usually that Satan wants to make people evil. No, no, no. Satan wants to make people good. He wants to make them good so this way they can think they can get to heaven by being good. Okay? The sinfulness comes automatically through our corrupt nature. And certainly the enemy adds to it. But if Satan can get you to think that you're good, then he can keep you from being saved. You see? If he can keep you from talking about the evilness of man and the goodness of man and to stay away from talking about sin... And that's what he wants. That's his tactic. There is only one God. We already read it in Deuteronomy 6.4. God. Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6, there are many gods, but there are no gods. There's only one God. You serve him. But notice fourthly here in verses 15 and 16, the promise of judgment rather than blessing if there's disobedience, verses 15 and 16. First, the reason is that God is jealous, a jealous God among them. 
Among them means in the midst of them. And he's jealous. The phrase appears three times in Deuteronomy. 4.24, 5.9, and 6.15. He is described as a consuming fire in 4.24. A consuming fire. He visits the iniquity of the people to the third and fourth generation in 5.9. God doesn't forget easy. And he can tolerate no rival, chapter 6, verse 15. No rival. The phrase implies that he will not share himself or you with anybody else out of the design of God. In other words, he has given you the right design of love. You love your wife, your husband, your children, one another. But all of that must be preceded by your love for God. Any love that comes before God, love for God, is a perverted love. It's a wrong love. So he's a jealous God. Now, sometimes you and I may become suspicious of our mate and become jealous when there's really no reason to, right? Now, God can't do that. When God is jealous, it means only one thing. I have been unfaithful. No mistake. Young people, be careful your hearts not get stolen away by the world. You be careful the glitter doesn't take you away, okay? You be careful where you hang out. You be careful you don't get ensnared. It's a very dangerous world out there today. You hang out where a lot of non-believers are. You're always in the midst of their partying, whatever it is. You be careful. You can be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm not telling you to be legalistic, but I'm telling you, you be careful. Because if you think you can't fall, you're in for a big surprise. If you think it can never happen to you, it will happen to you. It's just a matter of time. It's like driving. The longer you drive, the more chance for tickets and accidents. The more you hang out where the worldly people do, the greater the chance of something happening to you. It's just a matter of time. His jealousy is not after the manner of men. Selfish, but it's selfless. He is the best thing for you and myself. His jealousy is not liable to err as yours and I. But it's perfect. He knows every man's heart. And the consequences are that his wrath be aroused against them and destroy them from the face of the earth. Man, God's jealousy is serious. You know, God loves you so much he'll kill you. Read 1 John chapter 5. You see? We don't understand that love, do we? He says, you try to be unfaithful with me, I'll either give you up to your consequence or I'll take you home. One of the two. That's heavy. Do you believe that? Do you fear God? Or are they just words you read? Spurgeon said, where one man has been ruined by adversity, ten thousands have been destroyed by prosperity. I believe we can handle adversity much better than we can prosperity. Now, you're always wishing you win the lotto? Study the lives of the people who are in the lotto. I don't think you can handle the money. I know I couldn't. You say, oh, it never changed me. Oh, of course it'll change you. Now you're a lotto winner. Can you imagine how difficult it would be? Who would be your real friends? <laughs> Why would it be coming over all of a sudden? Every time you went out to dinner, too, they'd all want you to flip the bill. Now, it wouldn't mean, it wouldn't be like you couldn't afford it, but it'd kind of be a drag after a while, huh? problems. Jesus said that we are not to worry about what we eat, what we drink, what we put on our bodies. And he uses the birds of the air and the lilies of the field to rebuke man, that he might have confidence in him in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. The principle is simple. It is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. What's the priority? The kingdom of God. What does he say here in Deuteronomy? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
Same thing. Same thing. Whose kingdom are you seeking? Whose kingdom are you living for? What occupies your mind most of the day? What are your priorities? Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder about the importance of guarding your heart. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study from the book of Deuteronomy called The Perils of a Divided Heart. It's available for just $4 on CD. And make sure you pass along a copy of this message to someone in your church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is The Perils of a Divided Heart. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Does God really provide a way out of even our deepest struggles? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 